Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. This is the first of three episodes of Dear Rochester Retire Well that will cover Medicaid planning, or as some of us might say, long-term care planning. There are so many details, it can get complicated so quickly, we wanted to break it down into digestible episodes, and that's why we're having three. We have clients, prospective clients, friends, and family asking us all the time about long-term care, nursing home care, how to handle the money, costs, the application process, and more. So we wanted to make sure that we covered this really important topic. As our population grows older, we face a major issue with how we are going to handle long-term care. As you'll hear through these episodes, it will become clear that planning proactively and in advance will tremendously reduce the burden if and when long-term care is needed. To help us with this, we have an experienced attorney that spends a lot of time helping families with this topic, Ken Krause. Ken is a partner at Evans Fox. He's an active member of the Trusts and Estates and Elder Law sections of the New York State and Monroe County Bar Associations, the Estate Planning Council of Rochester, New York, and the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, Incorporated. He's a frequent presenter for community and bar association events on the topics of wills, estate administration, and probate, along with elder law, long-term care planning, and Medicaid-related subjects. Ken is a strong believer in giving back and supporting his community through service organizations and such has served as a local town justice for six years and is on the Council of the Trust and Estates section of the Monroe County Bar Association, among other volunteer activities. In addition, Ken works with families to help them understand the complexities of long-term care financing, including Medicare, Medicaid, home care, and nursing home planning, and this is where we'll begin today. Ken is married with three children, loves fishing, although he's admittedly mediocre at it, golfing, again, mediocre, and coaching his son's baseball teams and watching his daughter play soccer. That was a mouthful, Ken. Let's take it away. Ken, thanks again for being with us today. Let's just start right off with how did you get into practicing law in the first place? Dave, uh, it was a backup plan. Isn't that how most of us end up in our careers? Uh, I, like a lot of you know, young 20-year-olds probably uh, thought I'd spend my career in the CIA or the State Department traveling abroad. Honest to God, that's what I thought I'd be doing. So long story short, law was a backup plan. I wanted to be challenged academically. Law school was a good fit after a degree in history. That's what I studied. So that's why I went to law school. But when I was in law school, I quickly realized estate planning was what I liked. I had some really good professors in estate planning. And uh, so it was pretty clear from pretty much the get-go that this is what I wanted to do, estate and Medicaid planning. It led to a career more in Medicaid planning, I, I know the subject of the day, because coincidentally, February 2006 is the month I was admitted to the bar. February 2006 was also the month that the federal uh, Medicaid law that sort of sets the landscape of all of this uh, changed dramatically overnight. And that's just a huge coincidence to my career. It really set me off the same month that I was admitted. Yeah. So how long have you been? Practicing law. 15, yeah, 15 years as of uh, February, This just this past February, 15 years, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. I'm sure you have many stories that maybe we'll get into. The So you mentioned estate planning and Medicaid planning. We've talked 
pretty in depth about estate planning in a couple of our other episodes. So I wanted to get into some Medicaid planning with you. And I know that we could talk about this for hours. And I will just start with the very, very basics of even just what is Medicaid in general? What does Medicaid mean? But more so, what is what is Medicaid planning and how does an attorney help with that? Sure, sure. I think the way you've set it up, Dave, is right. The way I describe it to clients, I'll stay general and then I want to get real specific for just a moment on Medicaid. Generally, what I do is three things. I do estate planning for almost all of us need that. And then I do Medicaid planning, which comes next, sort of in your life cycle, for fewer folks. And then I do estate administration, which is after you pass. So by you exploring estate planning first makes a lot of sense. It's, it's much broader and an awful lot of folks need it. So I won't focus on that at all, but some folks going a step further beyond estate planning need Medicaid planning, uh, or at least should consider it. Medicaid, the word is quite distinctly different from Medicare. And frankly, everybody mixes the two up. Um, I won't talk about Medicare today, but Medicaid, it is a lot of things as well, but specifically uh, uh, for today's purposes, it's what can possibly pay for long-term skilled nursing care, sometimes called chronic care. It can do more than that, but just for today's purposes, it, it, can, it can do that. And so folks wanna know about Medicaid because we all, I think, are becoming more cognizant of our risk uh, to our financial health, our risk to our personal health of where we might live, you know, whether it be at home or in a long-term care setting. But we're aware of this risk, this long-term care cost. We all have family or friends who have, you know, had to go through hospitals, then rehabs, then maybe assisted living, then maybe memory care, then maybe skilled nursing facility. And, and everyone has lots of questions about how to pay for that. How do we pay for that? How much does it cost? What's the right level of care, right? And then what is Medicaid? And what, how is it distinct from Medicare? You know, and, and wrapped up in all of this is the emotion of your loved one who is inevitably not doing well physically or cognitively, health-wise, and big changes in your life. So really, that's what Medicaid planning is, Dave, is I describe it as a delicate balancing act between really three different parties, between the client, you know, the, the, your the, sick mom or sick dad, you know, that's one party. Uh, the long-term care setting, typically a nursing home, but it could be home care in your own home. It could be an assisted living facility, but call it the care setting, Right. And then third is Medicaid. That's a government agency I can talk more about, but really Medicaid planning is trying to understand the delicate balancing act between these three parties. Yeah, so if, if somebody comes in and they, they almost know nothing about this, like you said, everybody needs an estate plan. And by the way, I totally agree. When we're doing any financial planning, we need to start with the base of at least an estate plan. We've talked about that before. Then you said the next level is Medicaid planning. Right. What does somebody, so let's just say they have a bunch of financial stuff going on and they're worried they're going to, and this is what I hear from clients all the time. The, the nursing home's going to take all my money. Right. So that is what you are trying to help avoid by getting their, their money or their accounts, or I'll say their assets into the right place. Is that accurate? Yeah, Dave, that is, but I would balance that with, again, I use this word balance on, on purpose. So asset protection is really what you speak of. And that's right. That's where most clients come at this question from is how do I protect assets? I've worked hard. I've acquired all of this. This is my, you know, my, my nest egg. And these, these are my, this is my regular recurring income. And what can I do to protect these 
these assets and this income, you know, from, from this creditor, this potential creditor, long-term care costs. That's asset protection. That to me is a really big part of Medicaid planning, but it is by no means the most important. For some folks, it might be personally, but I think it's my job to educate them. So for instance, this is what I mean by balancing act. Asset protection is really tough to do if you want to make sure you do it in a way that respects Medicaid's rules. That's one of these three parties that I described because Medicaid's got really strict rules on how you can protect assets. And why is that important? Because if you mess up with Medicaid, then the nursing home is going to sue you, right? To be so blunt, but that's why you got to balance them all, right? So you've got to make sure you're not just protecting assets, but you're doing it in such a way that respects Medicaid and importantly, not something often talked about, but particularly relevant during this COVID era, is you've got to do it in a way that also respects the nursing home. They're your partner, right? Or the long-term care setting, whatever it is. I, I, they're not literally my client, but they are what I describe to my clients as a partner of ours. We need to think of them that way because if you, if you end up doing this wrong, you make mistakes along the way, then you're not going to get in the care setting of your choice. You're not going to get what I often describe as the right care at the right place. And if I could belabor this one more step, I, I guess I'd phrase it this way. When I'm talking to clients, I say, and, and this question comes up, I go, first, guys, let's talk about mom. Let's talk about dad. Tell me about them. Because what we really are here to discuss is to get mom the right care at the right place, independent of finances and asset protection. Let's focus on care at the right place. Then let's back into that an asset protection plan. Right, that balances all of these interests that hopefully can, in fact, protect some of their wealth, right? Ensure the continued independence of your dad, let's say, who might still be living in the community, right? It's a lot of competing interests. Yeah, and, and I have a topic that we could talk about, I know, for at least another two hours is at, at what level, again, back to the financial side, and I definitely understand sure. the number one concern should be the care and where you're right. at the right place. Second concern. And again, this is on my side, I'm the financial advisor. So people are right. just worried about use, losing their money. Right. right, so, right. Um, and I get this question all the time. What, at what level should somebody be concerned with this? And when I say that, what I mean is like, if someone has $10,000 in a CD at the bank and that's all they have, and they're getting social security, are we worried about it? Or do they have to have 5 million or is it somewhere in between? Wow. It's a great question. Uh, I could really go on and on. I, yeah. think, I think it would be helpful to think of Medicaid planning as two distinctly different things in the context of your question. It is either, do they want to be proactive or should they be proactive versus too late, now we're in crisis and they should be reactive. That's my own way of describing Medicaid planning. There's really two types. There's being proactive or there's being reactive. <clears throat> and being proactive takes into consideration this thing called the five-year rule. A lot of people know about it. Look back period or call it what you will. We won't get into too much of what that means, but broadly speaking, being proactive for your clients, Dave, would mean, you know, we believe we've got five years. It's prudent to assume that we can get through five years being happy and healthy without any significant long-term care crises, right? Uh, and so for those folks, the kind of planning we could do is, the planning planning they can do is fairly straightforward. You could create trusts, you could do a revocable lifetime trust, you could create deeds. There's other things you could do, but it's because you believe you can get through five years, right? And for those folks in this proactive realm, yeah, 
in my view, a married couple with a home, two, three hundred thousand dollars of assets or more, they should be having this conversation because they inevitably have what I would call exposed assets from a Medicaid standpoint. And again, I don't know that we have time to get into that today, but I think that answers the questions. If folks, on the other hand, you know, married couple, home, have say $5 million, then I don't know that proactive Medicaid planning is all that relevant. I hate to use the word self-insure, but certainly that'd be something they could consider doing. You know, uh, and of course, long-term care insurance is something that I could explore with them. Not that I sell the product, but I, I know an awful lot about it. You know, and that, and that could fit again into this world of proactive Medicaid planning. But just for a moment, your example of $10,000, I don't recall if that house or not, but they might be in some form of crisis, some long-term care need. That would be reactive planning, right? They're already in some form of crisis. And honestly, even if they have very little, they still need guidance on what Medicaid's eligibility rules are and Medicaid's application process. Because in this reactive or crisis uh, uh, scenario, they're going to be applying for Medicaid. And that is, that is a very, that's a daunting task. You know, so proactive, you got five years, pretty straightforward about your options and things to consider. Reactive, you know, almost anybody at any wealth level, if they're in a long-term care setting, they need to know about Medicaid eligibility rules and it's pretty complicated. Yeah, and yeah obviously I'm a, I'm a fan of proactive planning at any level right. that we can, we can have. So right. just because people, I hate to say this, love to hear these things, what, if someone is in a reactive mode, Right. Which I know we run into all the time. We, we have the same thing happen to us. People don't need something until they need right. it. Right. They lose uh, options. Right. Yeah. So what are, they lose options. And, and again, we're not, we're not prepared, but what are the, is, is that the most common mistake that you see or what, if that's not it, what is the most common mistake that you see that people are making with this? Right. That's a great question. <clears throat> most common mistake. That is one of them certainly is that, but I, but I hate to, I won't blame people because we're all this way. We don't want to deal with things until it's a crisis. Yeah. So I think that is a mistake folks make because they don't understand this soon enough. They don't, sometimes if you trust them well enough, bring the kids into the picture, bring the, the, the designated agents that you have hopefully set up in a pre-existing estate plan into the picture soon enough. You don't start making strategic, wise financial decisions with a good financial advisor. Again, we could talk about all that at another time. But if you don't do that soon enough, you don't try to do some of this proactive Medicaid planning, then you're left in a crisis. Not everybody has a crisis, right? But if you happen to be the one that does, you're left in a crisis with, frankly, fewer options and uh, a lot more complexity, which of course means more expense, legal fee wise, but also long-term care cost wise, you know? So I, I, again, we're coming often come at this from an asset protection standpoint. You, you could, of course, lose more assets that way, but you also lose more control. You lose more discretion. You lose the ability, possibly, to choose where your loved one gets that right care at the right place. So, you know, being proactive really matters. That's a big mistake folks make is not being proactive. But I think, you know, more acutely, a big mistake folks make, I see all the time is gifting. Medicaid calls it transfers. Let's call it gifting. It's folks trying to do this on their own. I know this is self-serving and I keep mentioning this, but Medicaid laws are incredibly complicated. It is why it's a, frankly a, a, a subspecialty of estate planning and not very many attorneys really do this well, is it is incredibly complicated. A lot of folks try to do it on their own and they end up, go back to that balancing act thing I talked about. They end up messing up the Medicaid eligibility 
which ends up causing a significant problem from the nursing home standpoint. And now that delicate balance of three competing interests is all out of whack, you know? And so I see it all the time. It's Wednesday, I think. This week, I've had two meetings already uh, with folks who tried to do this on their own. Uh, and we're trying now to unwind it. And frankly, this also is Medicaid planning. I'm often called in and kind of the last second in a crisis to help explain a family's financial situation to the nursing home administrators. This is what I know about them. This is what I think their Medicaid issues will or won't be. This is how I am I'm now, you know, they're now my client. I'll guide them through this process. And it's that assurance that I can give, you know, the long-term care setting that helps facilitate, you know, the family's desired admission. That's not something people think about as Medicaid planning, but absolutely is in the context of this crisis planning. So yeah, folks make folks make a lot of mistakes with this. And again, I, I see that all the time and I hear a lot about the gifting and the look back period and people, for lack of a better way to say it, trying to hide money so that it won't right. be quote taken from the nursing home. And it's, it's a timeline. And I know that the Medicaid, the government agency, n- number three, you said of the balancing act, right? They're, they're very strict. They're going to dig through everything Absolutely. as they should, as, as they, they should. should. And right. they, and they will. So I'm Old saying this, right? that's right. I'm saying this to my listeners because I I'm telling you, I get it all the time. It's like, well, if, maybe they won't see this. I'll do a cash this over here. It's like, wow. I don't know what their threshold is. Maybe you do, but it's like, if it's more than like $2,000 or it's some anomaly in your bank account that all of a sudden something they're, they're going to find it. Right. Um, so proactively planning. And I'll say this, Ken, you said it's self-serving. It's definitely not self-serving. That's why we're doing this and trying to give people the information. But what I will say and this is not self-serving to me in any way, is everybody should be meeting with an attorney about this. Again, I'm a fan of proactive planning. But what we have seen is the mistakes that people make or the lack of planning ends up costing them more than if they just met with an attorney in the first place. And that's, by the way, the, the reason that people are nervous to meet with an attorney. They're worried about the expenses or how much it will cost. And I have seen this on my end where an attorney trying to fix something after the fact without proactive planning is 10 to 50 to hundred times more in expenses than if we just went and did it in the first place. With less desirable results as well. Absolutely. And it goes back to your number one priority of getting into the right place with the right, right time. Frame. And again, I don't, I don't begrudge folks for that, right? Lawyers are intimidating or at least traditionally are, and they're expensive. I get it. But what they don't have at the outset, uh, and I guess it's our job to educate, is they don't have perspective. They don't have perspective of these subjects. They don't have perspective of this looming massive risk. I call Medicaid sort of the elephant in the room, you know, and, and they don't have perspective. For instance, this is something that comes up almost weekly in my practice. Talk about mistakes folks make. This gets a little bit more to estate planning at the outset, but why it's so critically important is folks come to see me and they don't have even simple things as a power of attorney in place. And now dad is in the nursing home. He has significant cognitive decline and the family is meeting with me, you know, his wife and the kids, and they want to know what they can do. And I said, one of the very first things I say is tell me you have a power of attorney so I can talk to you and move assets around. If you will even apply for Medicaid on, on your husband or your dad's behalf. Most times they don't, they don't have that. And then you know, so that's a massive mistake. We have to go to guardianship proceedings. It's a whole different subject another day, but um, that's a common mistake and something I, I commonly have to address. Yeah. And again, it's proactive planning. And I will tell, again, the listeners from experience, I, I went and did this. It took me an hour. It took my wife an hour. We put in a little bit of time up front and it, it's just the weight off the shoulders. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. And then we update systematically and periodically. So 
Ken, we'll wrap this up because again, we're going to have to have you come back to talk about Medicaid 201 and 301 and 401 by the sounds of it. But I wanted to get into when, in a, speaking of meeting with an attorney, when somebody does meet with an attorney and you're working with a new client, and I'll just tell you this, if I'm listening to this and I'm a person who does not do this all day long, and I understand it, but when you just throw around words like revocable trust and we need to set this up or Medicaid plan, it, all these words are just jargon to people. So we try right. to make it easy. So when, and I know this because by the way, I, I'm on a zoom with Ken right now. And Ken, you mentioned that most attorneys are intimidating. You, you're probably the least intimidating attorney that I've seen. <laughs> Thank, you, um, Thank you for that. I appreciate but, that. Yeah. Well, I'm saying that because I think people do think they think of the, the guy in the suit in the high rise building in New York city, charging you $4,000 an hour or something. And then they're right. just going to, uh, try to sell you something or do something for their benefit. I, I know that's not true with you, but when you are working with a new client, what can you outline your process or what does that sure. look like? Sure. Sure. I, I'll, I think I'll try to do two things. I'll describe a little bit of my philosophy and then I'll describe my, my, uh, my process, uh, yep. maybe a new client intake. I, I, I describe to most of my clients typically pretty early on in the first meeting that, that they're my partner. And it's sometimes if kids are in the room too, with mom and dad, I describe my, my clients as my boss. You know, they're the ones in charge, um, not me. It's, it's not, it's, it's literally not my job to make their decisions, but it is my job to uh, share positives and negatives and options and help guide them in making the right decision. And so I often say, look, I, I, don't, I don't want you to feel any pressure from me whatsoever. My job is to be here for you. You're my partner. In some cases, I describe them as my boss. And if this is a one, one hour meeting, great, fine. You know, if it carries on to several meetings and several hours and several months, because maybe we're in crisis, Great, I'm here for that too. You know, I just want to be here for them in the way that they want me to be here for them. And I, I describe that, you know, pretty quickly on to try to disarm and make sure we're, we're on the same page. My, my process, it really helps when clients come in with some good expectations of, of what our process will look like, you know, what our timeline is, and not just when we're going to meet the first time, but if these are our goals, how long will it take, uh, and also fees. You know, they need to be on the same page. I want them to be fully informed, right? So I do my best to explain a lot of that ahead of time. I and my staff are well-trained in, in sharing things like questionnaires ahead of time, engagement agreements ahead of time, and getting them to the clients before we even meet so that we can have this conversation about what are your goals, right? And, and can I help, right? Am I the right person? Now, often it takes that first meeting of really getting to know somebody. First meetings are usually about an hour. And 90% of the time after that first meeting, we've got really well-defined objectives and they know exactly what the cost is and what the timeline will be to accomplish them. And so I think it really starts with good communication, good communication uh, with the clients. Yeah, no doubt about it. And one thing I would say that the number one concern that I get from people is this is going to cost me too much money. And then the second one is how much, how long does this take to do? How much time do I need to devote? Which is interesting to me, by the way, because I would be willing from what I have seen to put in, I would take two weeks off of work and make sure this is settled, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it doesn't take that long. So how much time does somebody need to actually set aside to go through this? and get Right, right. So I think it'd be helpful to talk about the proactive and reactive again. Yep. If somebody's really more, and, and again, I don't know that folks are going to be able to distinguish which one they really are, but, but that's my job, right? If they're really in this proactive, so a lot of people are kind of in between and not realizing it. They're not really able to be proactive and they're not quite in crisis, right? So if they're proactive, it's kind of like estate planning, which really means uh, it's more complex than estate planning, but it's kind of the same process. It's, 
at a minimum one meeting, could be two or three meetings, usually an hour, hour and a half per meeting and stretched out over a period of about two months, right? That's proactive planning. Reactive or crisis planning, frankly, that can be quite expensive. $10,000 would, would not be by any stretch out of, the, out of the norm and take even a year or more to accomplish. But frankly, they, that's because they're in crisis and they're getting that $18,000, $18,000 a month bill and, and they now have perspective of what's right. going on. So um, the, the hope would be most folks are able to accomplish their Medicaid planning goals proactively, right? Relatively straightforward. And then they're prepared for in the event that crisis happens. Yeah, it's, that's great. The, the last thing I'll say is, Ken, we have to do this again. I know your time is valuable right now. And I want to get into, and we're not going to do this right now, types of accounts that people hold, investment right. accounts, IRAs, after-tax money, annuities, right. life insurance, and we'll tie that all in. So we will do this again because I get those questions all the time. But yeah. for now- David, David, if I can, that, yeah. that I think we call that, that, we call that Medicaid 201, if we will. And what we could do is step through the Medicaid eligibility rules. What is a single individual allowed to have? What are a married couple allowed to have? And once we have a good basic understanding of that, then we could drill deep into your your, your particular asset questions because we'll find the way Medicaid treats some things is pretty favorable. The way Medicaid treats other things is not, right? And so that'd be, a, I think, I, I hope that'd be helpful. Exactly. No, it'd be extremely helpful. And I get that question all the time. Or again, it's too late. My, my mom had an account of this kind. I wish I knew this two years ago. So I, and I'll give you some real life examples. But for now, Ken, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to? And before you answer that, the other thing is I have a lot of financial advisor listeners out there, actually. And if they are also looking for an expert in this area, how, does it, how, do, how can anybody get a hold of you? What's the sure. Problem? Thank you, Dave. I'm a partner in my law firm. My law firm is Evans Fox, E-V-A-N-S-F-O-X. My direct line at work is 585-241-5994. You can call me anytime or look us up on the web. You'll find my email address and our contact information, and I'd be honored to help. Thanks a lot again for your time, Ken. We really appreciate it, and we will talk again soon. Dave, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, Private Client Services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice.
Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.